Hello, good evening, morning, night, whatever time it is for you. Hello and welcome to Bad Apple Good Egg. It's just me, Jay, today because I do not have very many friends, but there are things that I would like to discuss. Um, so the first thing, of course, that is pressing needs to be discussed is the um, overturning of Roe versus Wade by the Supreme Court. And I'm going to come back to that because I need to do some research to really be able to unpack that and discuss it in a productive manner. So first thing I wanted to do is to talk about dreams. Um, Because I had a kind of crazy dream, not last night, but the night before. And it got me really thinking about dreams more. I used to be one of these people who really analyzed my dreams. I remember having a dream journal when I was in high school and trying to learn how to lucid dream, which if you don't know what lucid dreaming is, it's basically a state in where you realize that you're dreaming and then you can therefore control the dream. Some people do this without trying and some people like try to do it. I definitely tried to do it. I remember making a concerted effort. Um, so I think there are a lot of different methods, but the method I used to try was I would basically like close my eyes and lay in bed and but then try not to fall asleep, not to fall asleep, not to fall asleep. Because I think it's like the idea is you can transition into a sleeping state without losing full consciousness. And I tried that a lot and I never was able to successfully do that. Um, Another thing that is supposed to help is just being really diligent about logging all of your dreams, like first thing when you wake up in the morning. And I did this for like months. Um, And I still wasn't able to lucid dream. So I don't know. Maybe I'll try again. Maybe if anybody has any tips, then let me know. Uh, I also used to have like this book, a dream a dream interpretation book, which I thought was quite interesting. And I remember having some recurrent dreams as a child, which I kind of want to go back and look into now. I had this really crazy dream that I would have recurrently. And it was like, I was with my family on a trip and we like driving road trip. And then we got home, parked the car and my brother and my mom get out of the car and they go walking down the road. And then my dad and I are like staying and we're unpacking the car. And this man comes up to us and he's like wearing like some sort of military uniform, but like from the olden days, like he looks like from like the civil war time or something like this. And he, or no, it must've been the revolutionary war. You'll see the context later. And you know what? I'm, I wonder, this is when I was like a child too. I definitely was like seven. I wonder what like a revolutionary war outfit looked like. Um, for the British side. Eh. No, it didn't really look like that. It was kind of like this, like it's like the red coat, but with a um, the British one. It was like definitely green, so I don't know. It doesn't look like this. But anyway, so this man like approaches my dad and I on my childhood driveway, and he's like in this full-ass <laughs> military uniform. And so my dad's like, what are you digging up there? Oh, yeah, because he's like going through this little purse he has. And my dad goes, what are you digging up there? And he goes, the British Army. And then he pulls out like a knife. And I had this dream, and I was terrified. And after he would say the British Army, I would always wake up and be like, like fucking scared. 
So yeah, I'm gonna have to unpack that one later on, but I don't know what it means. And then I also used to have this recurring dream that my teeth would fall out. This is probably when I was in high school. And if you have dreams like that, it means that you're self-conscious about your appearance, which of course I was a little 15-year-old high schooler. It's a hard, it's hard to be a 15-year-old girl, that's for sure. Um, but the dream I had two nights ago was that I was with all these people and we either got to the, this we were all going to this house. I think it was like 10 young people and then like a few older adults. I say young people, I'm 25, so I mean, feel old, but relatively young. So we are going to this house and I can't remember if we were in a bus or a train, it's unclear, but we get there and there's a family living there. And I remember the man who is like the father of the household, I just didn't have a good vibe from him. But they welcome us to the house, whatever. I don't remember ever being inside the house, but I remember being around it. Like, kind of, it was in a kind of neighborhood, like a suburban neighborhood, but it was on the edge of, like, a desert. It reminds me of a lot of the suburban neighborhoods that were near where I grew up because it'd be kind of like a gated community. But then, like, right around it was kind of open space. Maybe that's how all suburbs are. I don't know. I know. I mean, I feel like I've been in more, like, thickly vast suburbs where it's, like, houses on houses on houses where this would more be, like, yeah, it's, like, a, like a group of a lot of houses, but then there's nature around it. But mostly desert because I'm from Nevada. But anyway, so we're here, and I remember, like, being in the street and also kind of being, like, in the backyard, like, with this group of people. And at one point, I'm, I see, like, the man, the father of this household, like, go to the backyard. And I mean, I actually never saw any children, but for some reason, I thought he was the father of this family. Maybe I did see children. can't remember. But he is going into the backyard, and he has, like, a trash bag. And I, like, see him, like, I follow him, and I'm watching him, and I basically see him open, like, the side of the house, like a piece of wood like he pulls out some of the pieces of wood and he like shoves this bag this big bag like into the house the side of the house and I for some reason I know it's a dead body I never actually see it but I know it's a dead body and then I go and I try to tell the other people that I'm with I'm like oh my god like that man he just put a dead body behind the house and I'm like freaking out and nobody is believing me and I feel very scared about this and I also feel very scared that nobody is believing me so then we eventually I get this one woman who's one of the older women like I mean not old but she's like probably like 50 she comes and is gonna look with me where I say that the bag is with the dead body so we open the side of the house and the bag's gone and I'm just like, fuck, fuck, fuck. And all of a sudden, it's like wind picks up. And like, it's, I think from within the house, it's like a flood. Flood, flood, flood. And there's just like water everywhere. And that's the last thing I remember. But the reason I thought this was so cool is this happened right after the summer solstice, which I was talking with my friend about. And it's supposed to be like a whole period of change and of growth and of new ideas. 
And I actually did have a lot of new ideas right around the summer solstice. I have these projects I want to start, these applications I started doing, and I was feeling very motivated for change and really excited. And then like the next day I had this dream. And so I looked up a flood dream, though from the face of it may seem to be destructive, may facilitate new beginnings. So a flood-like situation in your dream could suggest that you are on the threshold of a new beginning. It could also mean that a destructive or negative phase in your life is nearing its closure. Yeah. So anyways, I just thought that was really cool because I do... And I also just finished like this job that I was working that I didn't really like. So I do really feel like I'm in a transitionary phase with new beginnings and... Um, the end, the closure of another part of my life. Anyways, pretty cool. I, I mean, and I just am really impressed with how that happens. And also, I looked up the meanings of, like, dead body in a dream. Um, okay, let's see. It looks like there are a few. Murdered dead body, getting rid of any bad habits. Interesting. Okay, so this article is from thepleasantdream.com. There are so many dreams that can leave you shocked. One of them is seeing a dead body in the dream. I also wonder what it means that I... I feel like it's hard to find some of these answers on the internet, but I wonder what it means that I, like, didn't actually see the dead body, but I, like, knew it was a dead body. Okay, so this is really tripping me out. So the flood, like, the number one meaning was, like, new beginnings and ending of bad things, and the number one answer for... Seeing a dead body in a dream is transition. You'll notice how most dead body dreams hint at transformation. Such dreams occur when your real life is in a phase of transition. This transition can be anything, something really tiny like changing your home or something major like marriage. In fact, the dream also often hints at which aspect of your life is making you nervous. If you dream of a family member's dead body, it shows time for change in your family bonding. Well, it was, I did dream it like being in a house and I am moving soon. So that's really interesting. But I also am, I also have been thinking about making a big change in like my field of study, my career. And so this kind of makes me feel encouraged that I'm doing the right thing in this change. And also it, it, I guess it makes me realize how much my subconscious is thinking about it because I feel like in my waking life I do feel like a lot of fear about the future and fear about making changes and this is something that makes me extremely anxious so I don't I I do push it to the side a little bit so it was cool it's let allowed me to confront this in a more complete way to be dreaming about it as well the third second reason is serious illness which I don't think I have any serious illness, so that's good. Uh, The third is fear. When you fear something in life, you can have a dead body dream to highlight that fear. This could mean a fear of death itself for some. For others, it could mean a fear of change or people or even a new job. Right on the money. I mean, I'm very... It's like crazy because I like moved to another country and stuff. Like, And I feel like most of my friends and like most people in my life maybe wouldn't expect that I'm someone who is afraid of change but I really do have a lot of anxiety about change so I think this is super accurate for me our mind tends to overthink and the dream is only is the only window for it to let the thought out 
In fact, if you calmly understand the dream and don't let it overpower you, it can even show you the chance to overcome your worries. Yeah, I do feel like it has kind of overcome my worries. This also says failure. After you fail to finish a task or achieve a goal, your grief is shown in this dream. The dead body often signals a failed mission. Moreover, this dream is an outlet for you to let go and start afresh. Very cool. Might show you new opportunities. Can be a pointer for you to move on from past failures and look for new success. So this all was really powerful to me because I... When I first had this dream, I was quite disturbed by it, and I felt like, oh my god, this must mean something bad. And it even it actually even came up because I was with a friend talking about a dream she had last night, and the night before, and it was a positive dream. It seemed so, like, happy and cute, and I was like, well, I had this kind of fucked up dream last night, actually, now that you mention it, where there was, like, a corpse, and this guy was hiding the corpse, and there was a flood, and I felt like it would be a negative thing, so while we were sitting there at lunch, I looked up flood dream meaning and I found that it could indicate this huge transformation and so that made me feel really empowered and excited that my subconscious is kind of setting me up for new beginnings and positive change. So point being if you have a nightmare I would recommend looking up what it means because maybe it's more positive than you think. And speaking of nightmares um Yesterday we found out, well, we already knew that this was going to happen, that Roe versus Wade was going to be overturned in May, I believe it was, um, but yesterday it officially passed that they have overturned abortion rights, so most people probably know what this means, but basically it means that you are not federally protected your right to have an abortion is not federally protected in the United States. And this is absolutely crazy and disturbing. Because, I mean, since 1973, the decision of Roe versus Wade granted federal constitutional protections of abortion's right. And also, um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I was like, I don't even know if I should record right now because I was laying in bed just feeling so depressed. It's just, such, I mean, feeling so down about this. It's just such a heavy loss and it is such a horrible thing. And there's many things to discuss about it. And I don't really know where to start. I mean, I was raised in a Catholic environment. I wouldn't say my family was super religious, but we did go to church and stuff. And I would say that a lot of the people that we were around, like a lot of people I was socialized around were Catholic. A lot of my friends' families were super religious. And I actually remember a time when I was like a young teenager, maybe like 12, 13, like being very against abortion, very anti-choice because I had this narrative spun to me by the Catholic Church and these more extreme um, groups and people who were part of the Catholic Church that it was the mass murder of infant babies, essentially. And this is what I was told, and I believed this as a young person. And I even remember going to the pro-life, aka anti-choice, 
Um, I won't use the term pro-life because these people are not pro-life. Um, I, I remember going to the anti-choice like march in San Francisco with like my friends and my family, fr our family friends. We all went like it was some fun thing. And I just remember like this horrible like marching through the streets of San Francisco wearing shirts and holding signs that say like, I have a heart, don't like have a heart, don't stop mine from beating and like all of these crazy propagandized takes about abortion that were just totally infactual. And further, just as I got older and was reading, learning about politics, I became more involved in this issue. And then further, when I was like in late high school and then in college, I was a biochemistry major and eventually worked in the hospital and learned more about the necessity of women's reproductive choice which has always been something that has been attempted to be controlled by people in power, unfortunately. And I also want to point out that this is a racial issue as well as a um, women's rights issue because always has it been possible for um, white, affluent women to have access to abortion, and it will still always be easy and I mean furthermore it's a classist issue um, because wealthy women will always be able to have access to abortion this will always it, it, this is only changing universal safe access to abortion which we didn't even really have in a lot of red states because it was so the, the clinics were so overworked and they just wasn't enough access even in the states where it, even though it was technically legal um, so first thing I want to say is talking about Catholicism with, um, the history of abortion, because as I was researching, I learned that abortion was not always something that the Catholic Church or the Republican Party for that matter was so opinionated on. So first of all, I just want to say that obviously what the Catholic Church's stance on abortion is doesn't matter because there is supposed to be a separation between church and state. Catholic people can ha have a negative view of abortion and they can not agree with the sentiment of abortion within their church all that they want. That's completely fine. But you obviously cannot extrapolate that out to the law because there is supposed to be a separation between the church and the state and clearly the this religion is influencing the opinion of the Supreme Court justices who are choosing the law. So this is just the first article that I look up but it says that um, six of the nine Supreme Court justices are considered themselves to be Catholic. Hmm. Yeah, that's really representing the people. Um, more on that in a minute, but I just hear this article is by PubMed. It says abortion history, and it says that in the early Roman Catholic Church, abortion was permitted for male fetuses in the first 40 days of pregnancy and for female fetuses in the first 80 to 90 days. Not until 1588 did Pope Sixtus X, well, I really got to learn my Roman <laughs> numerals, uh, declare all abortion murder with excommunication as the punishment. But three years later, a new pope found 
the absolute sanction unworkable and again allowed all uh, allowed early abortions. Three hundred years would pass before the Catholic Church under Pius the I don't know Pius the something. Wow, this is embarrassing. I don't know the Roman numerals. I think it's the nineteenth. Maybe I should check. Hold up. No, it's the it's the it's the ninth. Okay, I think it's the ninth. Um, only three years. Blah, 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 sorry. Um, then he declared all abortion murder again, and this standard declared in 1869 remains the official position of the church, reaffirmed by the current pope. Uh, in 1920, the Soviet Union became the first modern state formally to legalize abortion. Shout out. In the early period after the 1917 revolution, abortion was readily available in state-operated facilities. Interestingly, it also says... These facilities were closed and abortion made illegal when it became clear that the Soviet Union would have to defend itself against Nazi Germany. After World War II, women were encouraged to enter the labor force and abortion once again became legal. So, I mean, I was, was going to kind of, I wasn't even planning on reading that whole sentence, but I do think it's important to point out that the legality of abortion and even other accesses to contraception is directly tied to the political um, climate at the time. Earlier today, I was listening to the Binge-topia episode, Abort Mission, which I highly recommend, and they were talking about how um, it was, at a time, like, beneficial for, a, um, like, during slavery, it was advantageous for enslaved women to have more babies, so they were not, um, like, enslaved women did not have access to contraceptives. I mean, of course, they didn't have, like, bodily or sexual autonomy either, which is horrible, but interestingly, after slavery ended, there were more access to contraceptives. And in the late 19th, early 20th century, the government started setting standards for mothers, immigration, and welfare officials declared who could get funding, like, for for welfare, for to having a child, and it was, it just is, there, there's so much evidence that is showing there's not a real moral stance or reasonable stance on the government or any organization on this issue. It is truly a avenue to control women's bodies, to control re reproduction into whatever is advantageous for the ruling party at the time. I also think it's important to note that the Republican Party did not always emphasize abortion as a issue that they cared heavily about. There's another article on PubMed called The Politics of Abortion, A Historical Perspective, and it talks about how, as paradoxically as Americans became increasingly pro-choice, two anti-abortion presidents were elected to serve for 12 years, and pro-life forces captured the domestic agenda by overhauling the traditionally libertarian Republican Party. This recurred because Republican analysts saw that Democratic, the Democratic New Deal coalition was cracking. The traditionally conservative South and West began to control most, more seats in the House of Representatives, and Americans were becoming more affluent, and thus more interested in taxes and inflation. Efforts were made to bring social conservatives, especially pro-lifers, <coughs> anti-choicers, into the Republican Party with scare tactics used in the wording of direct mailings. In the late 1970s, fundamentalist Christians became outraged by Supreme Court decisions banning school prayer and legalizing abortion, and by Jimmy Carter's decision to 
withdraw tax-exempt status from segregated schools. This group was mobilized by radio and television preachers, especially televangelist Jerry Falwell, who also used scare taxes to promote his moral majority. The New Right also tried to reach the nation's 500 million Roman Catholics through the Right to Life movement. Yes, and this is exactly what I'm talking about. The article goes on to say that there were not, that Catholicism was not like even traditionally extremely interested in the pro, like in the, in the anti-choice movement. They were, but it says that most Catholic lay people did not share the church's opposition to abortion in all cases until the right to life movement. And this is exactly what I grew up around, this right to life movement, this idea that you are taking the life of a fetus when you have an abortion. And of course, there's no legitimacy to this. It's the opinion of these people. There's no like, there's no like deciding moment in which a, the, clump of cells that is a fetus can be distinguished as life or not. I mean, there's not a person that can really make that judgment. And I also think it's important to note that 9 out of 10 abortions are done before 12 weeks. So even if there is a group of people who want to argue against later term abortions, which are often not accessible and are not just performed for any reason at all. Like, you can't have an abortion when, when the baby is, like, viable to life at a super late stage of pregnancy. Like, that's not how it works. That doesn't happen. But even, like, in later than 12 weeks, it's so rare. Like, it's so rare that abortions happen at that time. But it needs to be legal because of, med because of medical reasons. Like... I have seen in the emergency department, like, people come into the hospital who have a literal dead baby in their uterus, and they are really far, far along. Like, I, I mean, this does happen, where people will have a, like, really close-to-term pregnancy, but then they will, like, do an ultrasound, and the baby will not have a heartbeat anymore. And... I saw this happen in the emergency department where I used to work, and what happens is the the um, doctor would come in, the OBGYN, the obstetrician gynecologist would come in and do what's called a DNC. It's like dilation and cutlage where they dilate the cervix and like scrape out all the insides. This is essentially what an abortion is. And this procedure is, is like kid doctors in some of these states where abortion is going to become illegal pretty quickly like it's not just going to affect like women who want to have an abortion because of personal reasons like it's a medical emergency that people get this fetus taken out because they can get infections they can and I mean first of all I can't really imagine the horror of being told that the baby that you were planning on having that you are pregnant with that you are far along in a pregnancy with is dead and you just are told that you have to, like, let it sit in your uterus until it comes out, like, until you deliver a stillborn. I mean, that's absolutely horrific just in the mental capacity alone, but also physically this leads to higher rates of infections and other problems as well. I also saw um, an OBGYN posted that she has had cancer patients that had to have abortions because they couldn't receive treatment for cancer while they were pregnant. 
And there are certainly a slew of other reasons why a person would have to get an abortion medically. Of course, this brings up issues with the entire idea and institution of the Supreme Court in the first place. So, if you don't know, the Supreme Court is made up of nine people who we are not, we do do not vote on as the people of the United States. They are selected by the president and have to be approved by the Senate. And they are elected for life, like to death term or to retirement that they are in the Supreme Court. And what they do is interpret the meaning of the law slash the meaning of the Constitution. And first of all, I, I think it's, it, it's pretty obvious and it, it seems unarguable that no one should have this amount of power to literally interpret the law, especially an unelected official, especially someone who doesn't need to be voted on by the public, and especially when this only is... This, these important decisions only fall on the shoulders of nine people. And second of all, it's clearly like not valid for someone to interpret the Constitution in a correct way because they there are contradictions clearly in how that they interpret the law. As one Supreme Court in the 1970s interpreted that we do have we do as a right have access to abortion versus the current Supreme Court determines that the law inflects like indicates that we do not so it's clearly a idea that is flawed in the first place and it really is upsetting that the United States I think in particular is a very conservative country in its views but also like in its just like in the literal sense of conservative, it doesn't want things to change. We are so attached to like the idea of keeping our original constitution, which is the oldest constitution in the world, I remember learning. And of course, we need to take into consideration the some of the accusations and the histories and lives and the people that are in the Supreme Court. So I mean, the most obvious, the most talked about ones, I will definitely bring up first. I mean, actually, I don't know how much this one's talked about in the modern day. Like, I don't know, young people, I didn't know this for my whole life. It was more recently that I figured out and learned more about the history of Clarence Thomas. So Clarence Thomas is a black man from a small town in Georgia, and he has been in the court since 1991. And... From what I understand, he kind of denies that racism affected him. Well, okay, I don't want to say that. Let me, let me, hold on, let me read some of the stuff. Okay, okay, I admit I got this wrong. Um, I mean, what he says doesn't really make sense, in my opinion, but here we go. I'll read to you guys this quote. He says, There is nothing, this is what he said in an interview with The Atlantic, There is nothing you can do to get past black skin. I don't care how educated you are, how good you are, what you do, you'll never have the same contacts or opportunities. You'll never be seen as equal to whites. Um, yada, yada, yada. Uh, on the court, Thomas continues to believe and to argue in opinion after opinion that race matters, that racism is a constant, ir- ineradicable feature of American life, 
and that the only hope for black people lies within themselves, not as individuals, but as a separate community with separate institutions apart from white people. Okay, so I guess he's kind of a black nationalist. All right, people, so for the past few minutes, I've been trying to unpack the whole Clarence Thomas's view situation. And it's really quite interesting. I found this article that says he, um, he it says, I guess, that he is a black nationalist whose conservative jurisprudence rotates around an access of black interests and concerns. That's a quote from some writer. Um, this says that he was a black nationalist and dis discipled Malcolm X during his college years. He rejected integration and strongly believed that race and racism were immutable, that liberalism and white benevolence were emasculating forms of patronage that led to dependency, the denial of black pride, and any assurance in blacks' own achievements. Um, so it basically, I, I think what I'm taking from this article is that he thinks that like, he, he's against, like, affirmative action, and he thinks it, like, gives um, black people, like, it makes black people seen as bad in the eyes of society if they're given help, and that they will only be saved through engaging with the capitalist economy. Um, and I, I read at first about Clarence Thomas because a certain um, person I know once I was talking about racism and they were saying to read Clarence Thomas's articles about it. And it's very, it's very quite interesting because basically he is, he's, he's someone who argues for increased policing in black neighborhoods and attempts to like increase attempt to promote black on black crime and promote black businesses. And, um, when people talk about things like prison brutality, he says that that doesn't have anything to do with the Supreme Court. It's just, it's really hard to understand how someone who has, like, clearly experienced a lot of hardship from racism in their early life could say these things. Anyways, um, one reason I also was, so when this family member I had told me to look up Clarence Thomas when I was trying to have a discussion about racism with them, I was immediately like plundered with information about Anita Hill. And I had heard of Anita Hill before. For those of you who don't know, Anita Hill was a secretary um, who basically is the first woman who publicized and talked about the idea of sexual harassment in the workplace um, because she had a testimony when Clarence Thomas was being heard for the Supreme Court nomination she accused him of sexual harassment um, she was basically working in as a legal advisor for him and she she said that he began to make unwanted sexual advantages towards her frequently discussing sex, graphically describing pornographic films, and asking her on dates despite her continued refusal. Um, she said that the harassment later ended, but 
and then he moved when he was made chair of the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission in 1982. So wait, when did she first work with him? She worked with him first in 1981. And so in the 1982, she said that the harassment began again and he would discuss his own anatomy and comment on her clothing, etc. And this was really, it, it's pretty crazy that this was like the large, um, the first large discussion of sexual harassment in the workplace, not until 91, but Thomas still was elected to the Supreme Court. I think it was narrowly confirmed, yeah, 52 to 48 by George Bush, George H.W. Bush. Um, I also think it's important to note that there at the Supreme Court nominee hearing, it was a committee of 14 white men chaired by Mr. Joe Biden, as said on NPR. It looks like on NPR they have like the live hearing recording that you can listen to if you are interested in that. I don't think I could stomach it, to be honest. And of course, um, more recently, most people probably will remember that Brett Kavanaugh, who was recently appointed by Trump, also had multiple uh, accusations of sexual harassment, sexual assault against him. Um, Christine Blasey Ford alleged that, which I love how they, I hate the word alleged, alleged, but because I mean, I'm sure he did, alleged that he had sexually assaulted her at a house party when they were both teenagers. Um, the FBI conducted an investigation into Kavanaugh's behavior, but it was restricted in terms of time and scope. Well, of course. I mean, like, that's just, it's just, it's so insane that the FBI was going to act like they could even investigate this because, first of all, it's extremely hard to prove that you were sexually assaulted by someone, even today, even in, like, the modern era. Like, I have read an article about, and I have also known someone personally that, like, if so, first of all, if you're sexually assaulted, you, I mean, the best thing to do is to go to a um, hospital or to some sort of center where you can get a, like, they can do a test kit where they collect specimen. Sorry, people were yelling next to me, so I got distracted. But the best thing to do is to go to a hospital where you can get a rape test kit done. And it, it's good to file a police report, but... You can, especially because you can file a police report and then not press charges. Like, I, for something else, like a different, a different instance, not a sexual assault situation, but I have filed a police report in the past, but I did not press charges. But anytime that you have, like, you want to report something to the police, I think it's just a good idea, even though, I mean, obviously it's like no one wants to interact with the police. But at least the way that my police station worked was I just was able to do this report online. So I didn't actually have to interact with the police when I did this. So for someone who has anxiety about interacting with the cops, as many of us probably do, um, I would look into that because that's an option. But I do, for if you are sexually assaulted or raped, I don't believe that you can do it this way. I think this is more for a more minor report, but I just wanted people to know that that's an option. So you can get this rape kit performed where they do a pelvic exam and they report anything that is 
abnormal about your exam and they also can do like a, a genetic test and it's horrible because obviously like that's the most anxiety provoking thing that you can do after you're sexually assaulted and I'm, I completely understand but I would try to urge people to do that. Um, unfortunately however I have read that there isn't it's very common that these kits these rape kits will be lost by the police so I know someone personally and I read an article, I think also by NPR, that discussed th these women would have these rape kits performed and they would file a police report and the police would have their evidence and that then they would later decide that they did want to press charges and then the police would no longer have their evidence, which is completely disgusting and heartbreaking. And it really upsets me because th it's the the police like as a institution if they are going to exist this is exactly what they should be there for they should be there to actually help people who have had violent client crimes such as rape and sexual assault attacks uh, used against them but there has been increasing evidence that they do not care about those issues as much as more ridiculous things like that people are in prison for. Anyways, that's a conversation for another day. Point being that the FBI certainly could not have done a in any like valuable investigation of a sexual assault that happened so many years ago. Uh, the reason I bring this up is it, it's, it's crazy that anybody in our government could have as much power as the Supreme Court justices have but it's increasingly alarming when you see that these people with undoubtedly questionable morals, questionable behavior, and really criminal histories of sexual assault, abuse, harassment, etc. that we know of are out here making these important life-changing decisions for all Americans. And although I disagree with the idea of having a Supreme Court and having such a small amount of people have so much power in the first place, I also think it's in important to note that most of these people come from relatively privileged backgrounds and attended really prestigious schools, which most of the time you have to have some sort of advantage to be able to go to, and it really is problematic that it's a not a very diverse group I mean not and it's like oh I mean I also am a big believer that diversity is not diversity in appearance is not the only answer here but yeah currently Clarence Thomas is the only um black person on the court and yeah I just wanted to hop back in here and add that of course that I support diversity but I what I mean is that I, I just wanted to point out that obviously there is a neoliberal focus on increasing diversity in politics when oftentimes we don't see a lot of real substantial change come from that um, but of course I support uh, diversity and I also wanted to say that um, Clarence Thomas being the only black man on the Supreme Court. Um, I don't think that he represents the opinions and 
general experience of most black Americans. Um, one of the people on the court, what's her name? Is Puerto Rican, but yeah, uh, Sonia Sotomayor, but the rest of them are white and from privileged backgrounds. Mm-hmm. Yep. Sorry for all the pauses. There's just a lot to ponder here. We're just hanging out today, you and me, if you're listening to this. Another aspect to this was that in 2018, Obama um, could have tried harder, to say the least, to appoint a Supreme Court justice. So, okay, oh, in the spring of 2016. Um, Merrick Garland was the person who was nominated to fill the 2016 vacancy on the Supreme Court um, when... And... Tonin Scalia died in February that year, and President Obama quickly named him to fill the seat, and he had been considered a prospect for the high court for a long time. Um, he's widely regarded as a, mar- as a moderate, been praised by many Republicans, including influential senators, but even when Obama named Garland, um, hours after the death of the previous um Court Justice, um, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell declared that any appointment by the sitting president would be null and void. He said that the next Supreme Court Justice should be chosen by the next president to be elected later that year. Um, from what I understand, if Obama had like actually put Garland as up for the Senate for the Senate vote, it's possible that the Senate could have voted against him. But it's also possible that the Senate could have voted for him. I don't think Mitch McConnell alone could have made that decision. So basically, because Mitch McConnell had a like flexed his power against Obama, Obama didn't even try to replace to to put the new Supreme Court justice, which led to Trump being able to pick a whole other Supreme Court justice. And this is really upsetting, um, just kind of adds on to the list of disappointments from Mr. Obama, President Obama. Uh, obviously, he should have tried harder to get the seat so that we would have another Democrat on the, I mean, Democrat or moderate even, I mean, basically someone who wouldn't probably vote to overturn Roe versus Wade on the Supreme Court. Um, in addition to this, there are a lot of other things that the Democrats could have done to codify uh, Roe versus Wade into law over the past, I mean, 50 years, I think, almost 50 years since it has been in, since it has been in the law that they didn't do. And it's really disappointing because they have done this as a political tactic to increase their voters they and increase their donations because now that it because it's not protected every year they can say we want to protect your right like please donate to raise money for our party and it is really disgusting because this is a huge 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 blow to the american people that could have been prevented by the democrats and i encourage everyone who is getting bombarded with things to donate towards please do not donate towards the democratic party please donate towards like 
groups that help people access abortion and abortion clinics and maybe there are some like specific political groups that are working towards getting policies and people into office who can protect abortion more more effectively than the current government obviously has like I used to volunteer a lot for a group called NARAL um I think it's like National Association of Reproductive Rights. I don't know what the AL stands for. But they are an organization that I think is really doing a lot of positive things. I, I am from the state of Nevada, and I went to court and testified for a law that got passed that did help protect um, abortion rights in Nevada um so thankfully Nevada is a state that is still going to be accessible um if you are in a state that your rights are going to be taken away I'm so sorry and I wish that I had something more positive to say I mean I was of course like just so heartbroken by this and it really is some heavy stuff um it's been said before many times abortions have always been done um people would do all sorts of crazy things to avoid getting pregnant contraception has always been done um it's not realistic for people to act like we can't that it's not it's not new it's not news that we need reproductive rights and we need access to these things for reproductive freedom and i'm so sorry that we have been just going back in time and that our country has been so disappointing for us and I'm sorry to everybody I wish there's something I could do and I mean I will be donating and I will be sharing and educating as much as I can but this is all that I had to say today I hope it was informative and if you have any thoughts about it please let me know would love to chat um, hear your thoughts hear your stories But my heart goes out to you. Uh, Much love. Thanks for listening. Bye.